0: The subject for the evening talk is mystery. One of the areas which we notice in our lives is the important significance that our thought has to play in the way that it influences and shapes and affects our perceptions and our way of looking and acting in the world. And one of the things which concerns me and concerns many of us, is is there a danger for all of us of being in a situation in our life where thought has got so exaggerated as a mode of understanding that it's actually becoming not a service to us as people on the earth, but actually as a disservice. And in the old um, traditions of India, there's a concept which is used, which a number of you will be familiar with, which is tapas, T-A-P-A-S. It's a Sanskrit word. It's a word which belongs to the field of spiritual practices and awareness, and it means, in a very simple way, it it means austerity, and generally speaking, when we think of austerities, we think of self-denial, self-mortification, the giving up and doing without, which certainly can be appropriate and uh, there's a certain kind of severity about it in the way we use it, words if we ever do use such words as austerity or this tapas. But we might describe it as a certain kind of fasting and I think in our contemporary situation Kind of fasting, which might be appropriate for us, if we had to delve into things, in a way, there's a certain kind of fasting of the mind, and the fasting of thought. And and it's not an easy balance because there is a certain imperative for us to accumulate knowledge and information, to be well informed, to. Feed our cerebral world. And in that, we would look at, if one is in a state of learning, as some of you are at the present time, you one would look at the kind of motivations which are at work and are the considerations for the acquisition of knowledge and therefore of thought for the welfare and benefit of others, or is it rather in an exclusive domain of for one's own betterment in some way or other. So, the, so in the accumulation of knowledge and information, checking in oneself regularly for what the intention and the motivation is around acquisition, this case of thought, information, is I think quite necessary and, and vital. Because otherwise, what occurs is it's simply used to feed self, to feed the construct of ego and identification and therefore belongs to the field of a disservice to us so sometimes that fasting may be that in those times when we don't have to accumulate knowledge and information we don't have to feed the cerebral world which is rather a a small world compared with the vastness then we apply a certain austerity. A certain austerity in which we are watchful of the way we employ our senses, and in this case specifically our eyes and our ears. And a certain guarding of the senses, a certain willingness to be without contributes to our inner well-being. And that, I think, a, I think a situation like being here, is an important and valuable contribution. The other aspect which concerns me and many of us, is that in the, in the accumulation of knowledge and, and thought which occurs with us in our life, it's very much working within the field of the known, of what is known and we know a lot about a lot of different things and this working in this field of the known I think has the danger for us of losing access and contact with something which is mysterious and unknown and and that once again the more information can be useful and a service to the planet of course but it can act as a real shadow in our life to some sense, some feeling, some apprehension of mystery in life and when that's occurring, when we're too much, too knowledgeable and in a way as one of my teachers said when I went to um, meet with him earlier in the year one of the dangers of us in this world that in fact, we're becoming too clever for our own good too clever and I wonder whether in that, whether in our time here we can be willing to lay aside, to put aside as much as possible this vast wealth or poverty of knowledge about whatever and come back to a very simple way of being in which all of our past accumulations of knowledge don't really have too much to say about what it is to be here Not here IMS or here, this whatever, but to be here here on earth, here with life, here the way it is When we come into a situation like here and we spend uh, some time together I think there are important things which are occurring for all of us which are really well worth tuning into and so in some respect I would say that the meditations during the day serve and as (laughs) has been said in the past by the Buddha and others in a way serve as an antidote to the human ill of knowing too much and what I mean by that is that each moment that you and I just focus in and on the, on the moment whatever the context of the moment is and if we can be just receptive just to that we might be able to sense and pick up that all this that we have accumulated, this vast stream of knowledge which serves us and disserves us, actually doesn't have too much significance. At times, all that we have learned can seem incredibly important, and it can seem incredibly important for us to learn even more and it may be but it's in a place, it's in a time, it's in a context and in situations like this we are really saying to ourselves I am willing to put aside at least temporarily all of it, the whole package of cerebral activity lay it aside and be so bare in my attention so bare in my experience of the world, I don't know what it will mean for me. And therefore, all that I know really doesn't have too much part to play. Or any of it. I think this is the tapas, this is the austerity, this is the letting go for, for many, for many of us This willingness to lay aside and to put aside to uh, the best of our capacity as I mentioned, turns our attention not only to the present but I think also to what can be revealed in the present, if I just go into it. Sometimes, when a person comes, come to spend uh, some, some days here and in a way I prefer personally to drop the word retreat Quite concerned about this word re, retreat. Um, partly, I think, through many other words, through the sheer frequency of use of it, it somehow it, we we start making a separation with the language, with the thought, with the information between, as it were, being here and being somewhere else. And when we do that, we sometimes say and one of the biggest groans I can ever make is when somebody says, out there in the real world. Which in the very moment that that thought uh, arises has completely undermined the experience of being right here, right now. It's put it in the category of the unreality. And I think there's a great danger for us in this, in that sometimes when we think of the real world, we actually think that it's the cerebral world. We think it's the world of business, the world of efficiency, the world of doing, the world of accumulation. That's to be in the real world. But it is. I don't think that's the real world at all. I think it's the world that of the cerebral mind has trapped itself in. And I think the real world is something to do with being on earth, being connected with life, the interdependence of life, the real world of the earth and the flowers and the trees and, the, and what's in the ground and on the ground and in the air and our relationship. To me, that's the real world. And we get confused and we make this cerebral world of thought and deficiency and knowledge and profit somehow real. So I hope that our time here is getting in touch if we can use words like real, getting in touch with the reality of our experience. In this willingness to engage in that, sometimes and I think it's appropriate here, we, we, we might say there are to rephrase that, we might say there are a number of aspects here which are important one is the form, the form meaning the meditation the the classical way of what we call it mind training or development or seeing into which has stood the test of time it would appear since we some of us feel some connection with a tradition of m- a meditative awareness in life and this we show and reveal in, the temp- in a contemporary situation of sitting rather formally This rather formal sitting, rather formal walking is also accompanied with certain methods and techniques and the common feature of all of them is the emphasis is mindfulness and observation and correspondingly a shift away from thoughts, themes, habits, patterns, ideas, etc. Sometimes, I know it's a long day for people and it's not always easy to follow talks unless there's a lot of humor in them and there sure ain't in this one. (laughs) um, So if you space out daydream and Think about other parts of the planet. It's uh, understandable. So sometimes in our being uh, here in the present, the thought of around the method, the technique, and the thought comes: Am I doing it right? When it's had a certain amount of exposure, a certain amount of experience, and the question is: Am I doing it right? And sometimes we need some clarification some reminder to us that we're, as it were, doing it right and that's quite appropriate but what can happen is we get too preoccupied with our thinking around doing everything correctly and I would say that we need to be aware of whether we've got some model or attachment in our mind to having it just so So, in other words, the methods, the techniques, the forms and the structures are only to be regarded as tools to help us see what's happening inside of ourselves So whether, as for example with the breathing, you're just with the tip of the nose you're you're with the whole breathing experience, you're with the rise and fall of the abdomen whether you're experiencing the breathing and if you're comfortable with it or uncomfortable with it whatever the form, whatever the technique primary is, are you seeing what's happening? are you in touch with what you're experiencing? so we don't want to make here the method and the techniques though useful, though experienced over many years have an exaggerated place in what's happening here it, it's a support for what's happening here it's not the reason for being here The reason it's not the reason to give continuity and make that this method and technique has some kind of pristine essence to it or some kind of esoteric traditional significance it, I don't think it has, it's, it's an aid to experience, it's an aid to being in touch and needs to be seen in that now sometimes, in our sitting, in our walkings in our day, we get a bit involved in doing it right, the method and the technique, and what happens if that does take place, I think there's a loss of access, and I think what has a greater impact on us, I I would say, comparing here, but I would say then any method and technique actually is the silence and the stillness. And in a way, I would regard the method and technique as um, an expedient device to remind us of silence and stillness in which thought and the cerebral life don't really have much meaning So I would like us in our times that we are here whether in the meditation room or whether in the dining hall or when, when you're outside or whatever to give yourself that time and that space to be aware of the silence that sense of silence, even when the fan is spinning round, even when a person is communicating, or somebody is moving, or whatever it may be, the normal sounds that permeate through the atmosphere. And sometimes, when there's an absence of that, or sometimes when there's just a a presence which doesn't seem to be, of those sounds, doesn't seem to be disturbing the silence, There's a sense of silence which is present. This sense of silence, I would say from inner personal experience and experience with others, has a transforming element to it which belongs to the mystery, which thought and the mind can't actually figure out. Understand? You know, you know we, 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 our thought wants to figure out what, what's going on here? What am I doing here? What am I doing this for? What am I going to get out of it? Where am I going to be at the end of the week? Etc. Etc. This is all head trips. It's like, I want to know where I'll be before I get there. And at the best where you'll be this time next week, is probably right where you are right now sitting at best so when we, when we avert to the thought we want to, as it were, use the thought to get back to the known we want some kind of assurance, some kind of view ah, oh, this is how it will be where if I keep on doing this Have have we just lost faith? Have we gone back, reverted back to the cerebral world which has its appropriate use in certain situations and trying to use the cerebral world in a world where it's inappropriate and it's in this world of silence and stillness and being? So if we can really watch ourselves and really pick up whether the mind and the thought is, in being here, trying to figure it all out, because I don't think it's possible. I don't think we'll do it. And if we were to come to a conclusion, ha I know what meditation is, ha ha, I know what silence is, I know what form is, I know what method and technique is, I know what this is all about. If we come to that conclusion, it might be a tragedy. I think we've lost mystery. So if we can, remember to, and from time to time when we are engaged in the, the sequence of events that are unfolding for us just to turn the attention to that sense of silence which the mind, in its movement, in its thought, in its comparing, in its judging doesn't have much relevance, perhaps none whatsoever. And similarly, at times, another averting to, this word averting to, frequently used in the the texts and spiritual instructions and practices, similarly averting to the stillness. And these two elements, the silence and the stillness, are Essential spiritual elements. Trent, I would say, quite tr- in a mysterious and somewhat indefinable way, quite transforming. So we might say that in our being here, in our sittings and walkings and participating together, what we're seeing to ourselves in And what we're saying to each other is let's give each other the opportunity to touch on silence and stillness and let's see what that does to our psyche. Let's see what the impact of that is on our emotional life, on our active life, on our speech, on our way of feeling about the world, on our way of perceiving the world, on our way of, of looking at things. Let, let's see if we can be have the, the intimations of that. So let's not forget the awareness, not only knowing that it's reasonably silent and still here, but let's let's not neglect the awareness of that silence and stillness and the appreciation or the recognition of it. Let me me just give you a... a, I can make an example of this. Um, Just recently, um, the uh, um, BBC World Service kindly uh, asked me to um, do, I suppose you might call it, a thought for the day. It's, it's a kind of four or five minute piece. And asked me to do three pieces to, uh, for broadcasting on their, uh, on their world service. And one of the pieces I did was to, a little bit on this kind of theme, of the significance of silence. And w- one of the comments which I made in it was when we lose touch with the world and we revert to thought and the belief in thought alone, we make in this world a great number of divisions. One of the divisions we have made in this world is the division of believing in the inherent reality or selfness of what we might describe as the nation-state. Once we have, I thought, has fixed the nation-state and believes in it implicitly, implicitly, as though it was really true, then we have to attack and defend and protect the nation-state. And we become insular and clannish and isolated. The nation state doesn't exist on the earth. There is no indication of separation on the earth of the human family. It exists in thought and is determined with thought and thought becomes perceived to be as the reality. So in this course of this uh, uh, this uh, few minute piece with the, the, the World Service. I said, can we allow ourselves, can we give ourselves the opportunity to experience silence in which the thought and the divisions that we make with it don't really have any real relevance for us? Can we permit ourselves? Can our heart be big enough? to let that drop away, and in this case, therefore, the whole concept of the nation-state and all the violence born of it, to sense a silence and a way of being which is far bigger than such constructs as the nation-state. So with the thought And with our experience of it, not to make too much of it, since it may be denying the communications, the realities, let us say, that can be shown to us through silence and through stillness. One of the other aspects of the silence and the stillnesses is it seems to be, and this is part of the mystery which goes along with this and we experience this, it seems to allow in the very organism, in the very texture of one's skin, of one's biology, right almost one might say, allow, right into the very, our very genes. Intimations which we don't actually know are occurring in a situation like this, which we can't fathom out and work out, yet in some way or other, begin to have some kind of distinctive influence in our life. And I think in this regard, and see in this regard, that though just through the participation in what's going on it may be difficult and it may be confusing and maybe much uncertainty is accompanying with it, if one's faith can extend oneself to being with the unknown rather than reverting back to the known, doors can open. During the days that we are here together, just as I have just mentioned about being aware for the silences that come, being aware for the stillnesses that are felt and sensed and are present, sometimes with oneself, sometimes with, with others, it really doesn't matter too much. That in that, the other two, there are many times, many moments when we are here, in which there is the touch of mystery, the touch of the unknown. When we have difficulty in staying with the unknown, staying with the sense of mystery, one of the common ways that it shows itself is in the feeling of confusion. We're feeling confused. And what we usually say to ourselves if I have more knowledge, if I have more information, my confusion will go away because I'll know. And here we're being asked, let's not try to do that too quickly. Let's try to sit with the confusion because right in the midst of this confusion that we are experiencing is a real feeling of I don't know, of not knowing. And I trust that this feeling of not knowing, which can and probably will occur in your confusion, picking up on that might be more useful than having the confusion end through information, through knowing. I don't want to take that to an extreme. I mean, if you need need to ask us questions, you need to have whatever, I don't want you to spend days here in a mess of confusion and thinking, well, is this enlightenment? So, but if we can allow ourselves And keeping the awareness open that when there is some feeling of confusion going on, there is some not knowing right there and then. It's not theoretical. It's very experiential. And to be with it. It's an incredible extension of trust. Incredible extension of trust in in life. Uh, uh, A trust in yourself. That if you give something space, it will find its own harmony, its own rhythm, its own balance, its own integration. Just by being generous enough in our own spirit to say, feeling being confused is okay. It's not such a bad thing as everybody has been telling us. We might be closer to things in our confusion than in our cleverness. Closer to life, closer to wisdom, closer to liberation than in our supreme knowledge of this, that and the other. So in a way, maybe we're changing From the usual way to a very different way often we think of doing I'm going to get somewhere here we're saying by not doing maybe we really will get somewhere usually we think of if I'm going to learn and to know and to understand then I have to know about this that and the other and here we're saying Maybe real understanding and real learning and real knowing won't be through knowing about this, that and the other, but through not knowing about this, that and the other. Sometimes we think of finding out about life requires from us a great deal of movement, a great deal of activity to do this, that and the other, then we'll find out about life. And here we're saying, maybe we'll find out uh, about life. Not through doing this, that, and the other, but through stillness. So it's rather like the usual ways of discovery and inquiry and finding out spiritually here don't count for much. And the antidote to it is not movement, but stillness. Not Accumulation of words and concepts, but silence. Not through being clever, but through the humility of not knowing. And so within the context of this situation, indoors and outdoors, when you experience some not knowing, whatever that may be, Can we just be with it? Can we just sit with this experience? Can we just hang in with this? Can we trust that it really is okay not to know? In that respect, the the talks the, the timetable for the day, the, the structure of the retreat, the posture, the meditation methods and techniques, these evening talks, the morning instructions, the small groups, the one-to-one, at best is a finger pointing towards the silence, towards the stillness, towards not knowing, towards the mystery of it. And that that process, that unfoldment requires from all of us a lot of faith. And hopefully, within our presence here and our spending some time together, each one of us gives, as I believe, great support to each other. And so in a way, all of us together are engaged in the same unfoldment. Freedom and the liberation of one is the freedom and liberation for all. So don't forget, please, the silences, the stillnesses, the not knowing. Don't forget the mysteries that are pervasive in this life. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings be in touch with the unfoldment. May beings love the sense of mystery. So let's have a couple of silent minutes together, shall we?